0: This is market insights
1: the market pulse podcast by oanda i'm johnny hart and i'm trader
0: nick welcome back to the market insights market pulse podcast
1: and today we're joined by oanda senior market analyst craig erlam in london good afternoon craig good
2: afternoon johnny and nick how are you guys doing
1: well i'm on a tracker mortgage so probably not <laughs> too good as many people would have heard by now the bank of england has increased its base rate to 5%. That's up from 4.5%. So a half a point rise, bigger than expected. We're talking about this with Kelvin Wong on Monday, Craig. The money was on a quarter point for a while, but that CPI number yesterday over here in the UK, do you think that was the clincher and that's why it's gone up half a point today?
2: Yeah, that was the game changer, I think. I mean, when it's always when combined with other things, right? You, if you take numbers in unison, then they probably don't have a big impact. But when you add yesterday's inflation number to last month's inflation number, where we saw uh, headline inflation didn't fall as far as many expected uh, in April, I think it fell to eight point seven percent, and it was expected to fall to eight point two in line with what the Bank of England thought. And at the time, core inflation, rather than remaining at six point two, actually went up to six point eight. So that caused that shock and awe. So we needed a good number yesterday in order to just avoid this eventuality today. And it said yesterday, we just got another disappointing number. We saw headline inflation wasn't as good as hoped, but core inflation rather than staying at 6.8% jumped to 7.1%. So suddenly the Bank of England's got this dilemma where they're thinking we really want a, a soft landing in the UK, but ultimately we can't just keep ignoring the fact that this inflation data isn't just not falling like we're seeing in the Euro area in the US. It's actually... Rising on the core side, and it's now done it for two months. A combination rise of 0.9% on the core side that's really, really concerning. And when you throw the third thing into the mix, and I think this is the thing that really finishes it off and made for me at least, it made the 0.5% rate hike today almost inevitable and necessary, was the fact that wage growth, uh, which was released alongside the unemployment report um, in between these two inflation data pieces, was actually much stronger as well. So you combine those three things, and the Fed, the, the Bank of England must have been sitting there saying, well, at least seven of the Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee must have been sitting there saying, pulling their hair out saying we've done so much so far but we can't just do another 25 basis points because at that point we're crossing our fingers and just hoping it improves all by itself. So maybe there's this idea of it's better to do more now in the hope that we have to do less later on, but also more now so that later on we maybe, maybe we don't have to leave rates as high as they are and we can start cutting rates a little bit sooner. Because the worst case scenario for the UK, it's not that interest rates hit 6%, it's that they stay there for a year and a half. That's where all of these uh, people who are on fixed rate mortgages, you're on a tracker mortgage, but there's a lot of people on fixed rate mortgages who are going to see a massive shock to the system, not seeing your mortgage go up month by month uh, over the course a year and a half gradually but seeing a five percentage point difference between your mortgage rate from when you last remortgaged to when you do now that's that's a really dangerous point point. Uh, and the more households that get swept up within that the more dangerous it ultimately becomes for the economy so this is a bit of preemptive action from the bank of england i'm just not entirely sure what the two policymakers are thinking who've for the fourth consecutive month now have decided to vote to leave interest rates unchanged
1: Yes, I was going to mention that. That is uh, dovish behaviour in the extreme, isn't it, really, from two of the nine members of the MPC. Should also mention, though, that the Bank of England governor, Andrew Bailey, says he does expect inflation to fall, in his words, significantly this year, of course, uh, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has uh, got a target of halving inflation from its original ten percent to around about five percent. We'll wait and see if that is going to happen. But at least the Bank of England governor expects inflation to fall quite considerably over the next few months.
2: It does, and it, and, it, and it will, because we're talking about those volatile elements of the data that the Bank of England ultimately doesn't have any control over um uh, and the economy uh, isn't necessarily always reflective we're talking about energy bills if you talk a look at energy prices a year ago when we see the new energy price cap it's going to be much lower so that's going to have a, a very disinflationary impact on the overall headline inflation data because of the deflationary impact of those lower energy bills prices at the pump compared to a year ago um i remember driving past petrol pumps uh, a year ago and there were so many places that diesel uh, maybe a year a year, 11 months ago there's so many places where diesel was 199.99 because no one wanted to put 200 on the uh on on, on the price but it, but in reality like this was kind of the peak that we were seeing and that was almost a year ago so we're seeing much lower prices now that has a deflationary impact on the overall uh, number as well and then the final one which is food uh, food inflation reached close to 20 percent three months ago we have been seeing signs of that slowing i think it's around 16 percent now and that's expected to fall further again over the coming months and lower energy prices will help that aside from the supply chain issues that that, that the uk has had as well all of these things are going to factor into lower headline inflation it's just not really going to help the core inflation element of that that will probably be helped further down the road because if people are going into wage negotiations in this last six months they're going in with 10 percent inflation in mind if you're going into your next wage negotiations in a year's time and inflation is four and a half percent then businesses and people will have that in mind and at that point there may be a little bit more slack in the labor market and that's when you can get the Beneficial second round effects of lower inflation feeding through into lower wage growth, which is one of the core elements ultimately. It's one of the biggest expenses the businesses have of that core inflation data eventually, but it just means that that's going to stay sticky for longer. It's one thing getting headline inflation down from 10 to 5%, it's another thing entirely getting core inflation down from 7 to
1: 3.5. Nick, what's your view from where you are on the other side of the Atlantic as to uh, our problems? Of course, your central bank, the Federal Reserve, wasn't as slow to hike rates as the Bank of England and, of course, the ECB as well, was it?
0: No, and and I there's a couple of things I think from from my side of the pond. Uh, first of all, for U.S. listeners, uh, we heard Johnny and and Craig speaking just a little bit about um, sort of the the difference in uh, the way they do mortgages in the U.K. So that might have been confusing for U.S. listeners. We in the U.S. were very familiar with like 30-year fixed uh, loans when when people or mortgages when people purchase homes uh, in the U.K. That's a little bit different. Uh, they do shorter-term fixed, and so they made mention earlier to into the housing world with these very high readings of inflation, which have now propped the, uh, the Bank of England to choose to raise interest rates 50 basis points today, um, it's causing a little bit of uh, you know uh, an issue there for people who are on variable rates uh, going forward. So I, I wanted to clarify that. And then also just in terms of the inflation number that we got today, uh, I'm sorry, the, the inflation number got yesterday, CPI yesterday, followed by today's um, rate hike out of the Bank of England. In terms of comparing that to the U.S., you know, yesterday we had Jerome Powell speaking uh, in front of Congress, and he again kind of said nothing that was really surprising to the markets. Uh, we saw him essentially back up his claim yet again. We're far off from our two percent, uh, you know, target in inflation, and we're gonna, uh, you know, we've got a long way to go. Trying to again kind of tout up the idea of further rate hikes down the line. The market still, uh, to my knowledge, I believe is currently pricing in one additional rate hike of 25 basis points, and that is expected to pause from there. Um, as, again, it's two different stories. When you look at the dollar uh, and you look at the pound and you you cross the two, the pound dollar has been trading up the last few weeks. Um, Today it had a spike back to the highs uh, upon the announcement of... know, the Bank of England's decision to rate hike by 50 basis points. uh, We've given back some of those gains. But again, the pound still looks very strong compared to the US dollar. Again, for the for the newer listeners to the newer uh, traders, investors out there, of course, uh, the reason for this is that higher inflation uh, drives the central bank to to need to raise rates further rate hikes uh, attract foreign investment, make for better returns for people buying bonds, that sort of thing. uh, So it can strengthen the currency. And so we've seen that story playing out where again uh, the market is kind of not buying it from the Fed they're thinking you know hey we're probably just gonna go one more and be done whereas we have a different story in uh, you know in the UK so again this this number yesterday and one last thing I'll say about that inflation number right is that you know, there's an argument to be made or a concept to talk about where inflation coming down from 10 to 5, or I'm sorry, for in our case in the U.S., 9% down to the 5% was not incredibly difficult, and it fell pretty rapidly. Um, now we are sort of, the Fed is is fighting for the, those numbers to come down f- lower, and it seems to get increasingly difficult to get closer to that 2% target. Compare it to the U.K., which with this latest reading, Is staying at 8.7% unchanged year over year from the previous. That is uh, pretty alarming because it's, you know, you're still very elevated. You would think that with some measurements there, with some rate hikes, uh, that they could get that number to come down as their forecast was for. And now we're not quite seeing that. So it is a bit of a, a strong divergence, I would say, between the UK's situation and the US's, uh, and we're seeing it play out in the currency wars, of course, between uh, the pound and the dollar. The um, the pound dollar, again, trading up very dramatically the last few weeks. Uh, and, and you know, personally, I think that uh, it has potential to continue if this doesn't change uh, in, in its dynamic between the two. Again, last year we saw the exact opposite. We saw um, the, the Fed, as you mentioned too, when you passed the question to me, Johnny, was we saw the Fed just being super aggressive, rate hikes, rate hikes, rate hikes. And now we're seeing a little bit of the opposite that where perhaps the u k needs to stay hawkish for longer, higher for longer kind of concept, uh, which could continue to elevate the pound, so that would be my take on it
1: and it uh, Craig is a particular headache, and you mentioned wage demands before it 's a particular headache for the u k government because wage demands, particularly of the unions, and that 's an ongoing story, will continue at a very high rate, when the inflation rate continues at a very high rate, you kind of get the idea that maybe Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's been waiting for inflation to drop. And so he'd be able to argue against higher wage demands from uh, the unions. And uh, that isn't happening yet. Let's move on slightly, though. Um, Staying with central banks, we've had um, some announcements from Turkey today, Craig.
2: We have. So the Turkish Central Bank raised rates by 6.5%. Now, we need to put this into context. And when I say context, I unfortunately mean an awful lot of context because a lot has happened in Turkey in the last couple of years. President Erdogan is not conventional. In his thinking on monetary policy, he is a firm believer that high interest rates stoke inflation and that low interest rates reduce inflation, very much counter to the uh, widely held consensus view for uh, obvious reasons. And so he has repeatedly over the years hired and sacked governors who have not effectively done his bidding, who have raised rates to stem inflation and then they've been sacked and replaced with someone else. A couple of years ago, he found a governor who was willing to do his bidding or maybe just agreed with his train of thought. Uh, I think it's probably the former. They then proceeded on a series of aggressive rate cuts, which saw inflation spike above 85%. Now, going into the election, Uh, 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 a few weeks back, uh, President Erdogan remained staunch in his defence of low interest rates. He was the proponent of low interest rates. He was the saviour of low interest rates and inflation would eventually uh, come down. It was driven by external factors and so on and so forth. Um, And then upon winning the second round, the runoff uh, of the election, he almost immediately Uh, replaced his finance minister with someone more conventionally um, focused and replaced his governor. And his governor has now come in and she has raised interest rates by 6.5%. So that takes the uh, policy rate to 15%, and it's probably the first of more to come. And one of the reasons why they had to do this is because they were doing so much to try and manage the currency movements uh, and trying to manage uh flows of cash out of the country, which is what happened when we started to see these massive rate cuts, that they've basically been having to manipulate the market to manipulate the currency. They've burned through excessive amounts of uh foreign exchange reserves in order to do so. It was never a sustainable policy, but it was clearly only designed to see them through to the election, at which point you can kind of utilize. And you can put someone else in place and almost certainly I would have thought at some point sack them uh, and replace them with someone else and so on and so forth. Um, But it was never a sustainable policy. And now we've seen the first of possibly numerous rate hikes. Some think that interest rates may need to rise around 30 percent in total just in order to try and stabilise the currency and get inflation uh, on a more sustainable path. This is a step in the right direction, but even with this, the Turkish Lira is off 2.5% against the US dollar today because markets were pricing in between 10 and 20% rate hike. That kind of puts our 0.5% into some context, but of course, everyone's situation is extremely different. And the, the, the new central bank of the Republic of Turkey governor still has an awful lot of work on our hands.
0: Yeah and at this point I've got the chart pulled up and the Turkish lira has actually now at the time of recording this podcast gone down even further against the dollar 2 eight percent, I think, cresting uh, down against the dollar, which for a currency uh, pair, that is a pretty impressive move for a single day of trading. And again, this is off a of rate hike, but it's uh, not nearly what the market was expecting. And so that's why we're getting such a volatile move there. Uh, speaking of more uh, central banks and currency pairs, uh, the Swiss franc against other currencies uh, making a move today after they again uh, rate hiked and kind of joining the league, I guess, of rate Hikes. Uh Craig, what's your take on the SNB today? You know what, today's such a
2: fascinating day because we've got different central banks making different moves and they're all in such incredibly different positions. Imagine this: the Swiss National Bank is raising interest rates because inflation is at 2.2%. And that is not quite within its target of below 2%. So they're raising rates and they're going to keep raising rates until inflation is below 2%. And it's a really tough story because their concern is that they still think that inflation is going to be 2.2% next year and 2.1% the year after. So there's still a lot more work to do. But they are standing firm behind this. They are standing firm behind the idea that that it's still above target and therefore more needs to be done. They have alluded to and by they i mean uh, the chair thomas jordan has alluded to recently that they believe that the neutral rate is somewhere around two percent so that suggests that they I, the policy rate rising another 25 basis points in fact there was a, a chance that we could have seen a 50 basis point rate hike today some of the markets were uh, forecasting 50 basis points we didn't quite get that so we may have to wait till september or later for that uh, extra 25 basis points assuming that inflation doesn't fall Um, against expectations at this point in time. But they obviously have a much uh, a much easier uh, time of things at this point in time with inflation. The other thing, core part of their policy is the currency. We don't talk about currency manipulation like it's a good thing typically, but it's a core part of how the Swiss National Bank ultimately operates, and they re- regularly reference it within these meetings as well. And they've effectively said that we're going to happy to continue ra- uh, buying uh, Swiss francs uh, at this point in time uh, because we don't want to see the the value of the currency uh, weaken uh, because effectively it's helping them to achieve their inflation goal this is very much in stark contrast to what they were doing 8 years ago when they had the 120 currency peg at the time every central bank was doing more and more qe lower and lower interest rates and it was there was t- a lot of talk at the time of currency wars and effectively competitive devaluation of the currency in order to try and support their economies through these environments. And one of the currencies at the time that was especially strong was the Swiss franc. And that made their job of actually hitting or getting close to 2% all the more difficult. So they, impact, they, they implemented a currency peg in, against the euro in order to try and keep the currency at a certain level so it didn't push them even more into deflationary territory. And we all remember what happened then back in 2015 when one day they said that... The 120 peg is the cornerstone of their monetary policy. And the next day they abandoned it and all um, uh, well, let's just say it was messy. And um, uh, so now they're going very much in the other direction. They're using the currency method as a way of trying to achieve their monetary policy goals without just having to rely on interest rates alone. Another interest rate hike is likely uh, in September. But really, they are so close to their inflation goals. And I'm sure central banks all around the world are extremely jealous of that.
0: Yep. And I think uh, one last thing I'd like to just cover, of course, is the recent uh, one thing I guess that was kind of interesting mentioned uh, on on Wednesday, uh, yesterday, at the time of recording this about Bitcoin. Crypto world got a little bit of a buzz. We saw Bitcoin cross over the 30,000 mark, uh, which is a, you know, of, of course, we've been talking about that on the podcast as a big milestone to see if we could get above that again uh, for a while. Um, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said on Wednesday that the the US central bank should play a robust federal role in overseeing stablecoins so I think one of the things just to, to cover quickly on crypto, it's not my area of expertise, but having a, a notable, uh, you know, a chairman like Jerome Powell even mentioned uh, some legitimacy factor to it. Of course, he did add some things that, you know, essentially along the lines that central banks should have involvement in a sort of money to make it the, uh, to, to solidify it as, as real money of any sort. Uh, but any mention like this and nod to crypto like this uh, makes a lot of sense to as why, you know, maybe it's not in, in the sights of the Fed to get rid of it or to be, uh, you know, super anti uh, crypto. So I think that that gave a good lift. We also saw some Wall Street interest really spike up on on crypto with the idea of I think BlackRock is trying to launch an ETF in the space, which uh, all of that add more validity. And, um, you know, one of the big things back years ago when we when we saw crypto uh, futures become a thing, I actually thought that that might be a, a pretty bullish thing. There was, of course, uh, an increased potential for shorting crypto as well with that. But on the futures market, just having it there, uh, it makes it that much more accessible to people with deep pockets in the hedge fund world. So um, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. And, and I think probably a, a much needed win for the crypto crowd.
1: Nick, Craig, thanks very much for joining us on a fascinating day today, and we will speak to you again on Friday.
0: Thanks, Johnny. Thank you. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.